Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Rosh Hashanah sermon by Rabbi Adam Klickfeld. I came across the following piece of Talmud recently I'd never seen before. It says, Tanya, we learned from an earlier source. Rabbi Ishmael ben Elazar Omer. Rabbi Ishmael, the son of Elazar, said something. What did he say? Ba'avon shnei dvarim, because of two sins, simple people of the land are liable to death. What are they? Al shekorin la'aron kodesh arana. If you refer to the Aron HaKodesh, the Holy Ark, as simply the Aramaic word for Arana, just a, an ark, a cabinet, you might die. And the second one, Al Shekorin Levet Knesset Beit Am. If you call your synagogue Beth Am. That has nothing to do with my sermon. I just thought I would share it. (laughs) I hope it's not a predictive text. Okay, I'm going to give another sermon today about your health. It has nothing to do with what you do or you do not eat. Good yantif. But the motivation is the same. The motivation is that I care for you all, and I'm invested in your lives and in your well-being. And especially living within a community as we do, trying to make this complex and often anonymous-feeling world be a little smaller, a little more tender. We all have a role to play in one another's wellness. Did you know the statistic that says that about one in five people suffer from loneliness. Which means that if you look around and you don't see the other four people, they're probably having fun without you. (laughs) It's a bad joke. I get it. But it's a worse reality. And the statistics are even more demoralizing. Many of you saw the Surgeon General's report in early May. Dr. Vivek Murthy wrote that up to a half of all American adults report experiencing loneliness regularly. And the trends are probably even worse amongst teens. This is not just people feeling a little glum or wishing they had more friends. This is turning into a societal pathology with real and traceable impacts on our health. One part of the study quoted by the Surgeon General claimed that extended abject loneliness can be as deleterious to one's health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's apparently lotov. It is not good to be alone. And it's a paradox. No generation has ever lived in an era in which it's easier to connect with other people across time zones, great geographic distances, And yet somehow, perhaps, 
No generation has ever lived with greater pervasive loneliness. The trends suggest that a lower percentage of Americans than ever before are engaged with houses of worship and community organizations and even large extended families, all of them being institutions that can be a bulwark against feeling alone in the world. This is not good. It's low tov. Now, we're all here today, starting the new Jewish year, together. And however lonely we may feel in our lives on other days, hopefully this gathering and praying in community can assuage that. But I'm also aware that for some, and you might be you, the experience of loneliness is so acute that coming to shul can exacerbate it. Sometimes seeing others, seemingly happy couples, merrily ensconced in loving families, reuniting with dear shul friends, all of that can be a bit of an assault for someone who feels that they lack some or all of those blessings in life. And some people come to shul and they feel invisible, as if no one even cares that they are there. Shul can be a part of what keeps loneliness at bay, but even Jewish community is no panacea. However, I think Jewish wisdom can offer a lifeline or at least a pathway forward, both towards confronting our own loneliness and perhaps more importantly, helping mitigate the loneliness of others because really, it's not good to be so alone. Speaking of which, did I ever tell you that I once joined a loneliness therapy group? No one showed up. <laughs> I, wanted to defi- I wanted to find some terms. Because not all alone time is lonely or even unpleasant. Some of us crave it and wish we had more alone time than we get. The German-American philosopher Paul Tillich said it well in his book, The Eternal Now. Our language has wisely sensed these two sides of man's being alone. It's created the word loneliness to express the pain of being alone. And it's created the word solitude to express the glory of being alone. And I resonate with both aspects, sometimes almost at the same time. I'm going to give you an example. During the year, most of my exercise is on a bicycle. But in the summer, I have some opportunities for some open water swimming, including in a lake. I like to swim early in the morning. When there's a mist on the surface, all is quiet, and even the birds are not yet awake. Nearly every time that I am presented with the opportunity, I have to psych myself up to take the plunge. I noticed this pattern in myself this summer, and I tried to interrogate it. What was making me hesitate? Not the water temperature, which is delightful. Not the notion of getting out of bed early for exercise. I'm raring to go on a Sunday morning on my bike rides. I think what makes me hesitate is that when I swim, particularly open water, when I don't even have the flip turns at the end of the lane to interrupt me, all I have out there is me. My thoughts my ruminations, my worries, my stream of consciousness. It can be lonely out there. 
or at least I fear that it will be. Sometimes it's scary to get ready to confront your full self with no mediation. And I also realize that nearly every time, once I do enter the water and start the strokes, within a few minutes, I'm in a wonderful place. A feeling of elan comes over me. I forget I'm exercising. It's just I in the water, luxuriously alone. I ponder that transition that happens over and over again. Feeling loneliness, fearing, sorry, fearing loneliness in the water and where my mind might go during that time. And then delighting in the aloneness once doing it. I'm also aware that the very ability to delight in the aloneness is a direct result of the exquisite privilege that I have of living a life that is not lonely. When I return from my swim and my mind's meanderings, I have people in my life. I have a loving family. I have caring friends. I have a devoted community who would do absolutely anything for me. (laughs) So my alone time can be precious, and even so, it can still loom as something I don't want to jump into. Judaism has texts and ideas that point to the extremes in this dynamic, both of them. The extreme holiness of some types of aloneness and the extreme deprivation of extended loneliness. Let's start with the holiness. There's a term in Hasidut called hitbodedut. It was popularized by the great Rabbi Nachman of Bratzlav. The noun hitbodedut is built from the verb lehitboded, which means to make oneself alone. The word referred to the practice of intentional, exalted isolation. To be alone in order to be with God. To be with no one else in order to be with the only one who mattered, the Holy One. And hearkening back to my sermon from last year, this is a spiritual version of hormetic suffering. Short-term, tolerable seclusion in order to grow stronger and more spiritual and more well. Heat bodidut, like some versions of Eastern meditation, is stark. And to practitioners... It can be transformative. That kind of elusive spiritual aloneness can be wonderful. But true loneliness, lotov. It's not good. And when you witness others in their loneliness, perhaps you have an obligation to do something about it. And our tradition knows the trauma of loneliness as well. On our saddest day of the year, on Tisha B'Av, commemorating the destruction of the temples in Jerusalem, we read the book of Echa of Lamentations to the lugubrious trup. The very music is the epitome of dismal. And what's the first way the Bible describes Jerusalem at her most vulnerable, her saddest? The book says, Echa yashva badad. Woe to Jerusalem who sits alone. The word isn't destroyed Jerusalem is not first described in ruin or in rubble or taken over by enemies, but badad, lonely, as if the most awful fate for a city or a person is to be alone. Classic Midrashim on this verse play up the two sides of being alone. Rabbi Yochanan compares this verse to one at the very end of the Torah, 
which says, Vaishkon Yisrael betach badad, that same word. Israel will dwell badad alone, but also betach, secure. Moshe imagined Israel, the people dwelling alone in the land, but alone and protected. Alone as in nothing to disturb it. No one to fear. A beautiful alone. A sort of a national hitbodadut. But then over the centuries, we sinned, and enemies around us rose up, and now in Echa, Jerusalem sits alone and lonely, alone with no one to comfort her. Another Midrash reads this badad, this aloneness, more starkly and more pure, vulnerable loneliness. It compares this verse to one from Psalms, chapter 102, where badad describes a mother bird bereft of her chicks, alone, unable to move, paralyzed, in search of any comfort. Whether describing a bird without chicks or a city without residents, a God whose people have strayed, our tradition knows about loneliness and how painful it can be. And our tradition says something about how to assuage it. To get there, I want to discuss one of the most mundane and most ubiquitous of Hebrew words, the word tov. It's one of the first Hebrew words a Jew learns. Boker tov means good morning. It's one of the most rudimentary of Hebrew salutations. You can say tov or tov ma'od, very good. It's one of the most common ways to respond to someone asking, how are you? I want to posit that whatever the ancient biblical word tov means, the English word good is a paltry rendering. Good has almost lost all its meaning. It's used so often and so commonly that it barely means anything anymore. But tov, given its biblical origins, deserves much more than that. We first come across Tov no fewer than seven times in the first chapter of Breshid, of the Torah, related to the days of creation that God describes as Tov, as good. Does good, in English, really do the trick here? Creating the world was good? Separating water from land, good? But we have no context in chapter one for what or how something must be in order to earn the descriptor of Tov. What about those days made God turn to them and claim Tov? Then comes chapter 2, and we get our tradition's first true understanding of what Tov, what goodness might be. In chapter 2, we are pondering Adam Harishon, the first man, in a beautiful garden with an abundance of overflowing springs and every possible food one could want to eat a buffet for the senses and for the body's needs, or at least most of them. Something is missing. The Torah tells us so with a great brief phrase that I've been dropping throughout this sermon. The Torah says, Lo tov hayot adam levado. It's not tov. It's not good for a person to be alone. And so the eighth time we hear the word tov, is the first time we have any guess as to what the Torah thinks it means. It means the opposite of loneliness. Tov is the antidote to an empty heart and an empty life. The first actual thing that our God does to and for a human being in the Torah 
is to assuage that person's loneliness. Tov is so much more than good. Tov is a miracle. Tov is making a person feel well in the world. Tov is being a godlike figure to another person and filling a void. Turning the pain and nothingness of isolation into intimacy and camaraderie and offering the blessings of a shared life. It might be true that later Hasidic culture curated a religious experience that was all about the splendor of being alone, but the earliest Jewish texts exposed the vulnerability of being alone and the obligation of God to assuage it. As people on this earth spiritually charged to imitate God, it may be that one of our most important human and religious tasks is to live each day within Genesis chapter 2, seeking out Adams of all types, observing that indeed lotov hayot adam levado, that loneliness can be traumatic, and that it is something we all have the power and the obligation to respond to, to assuage. My Rosh Hashanah charge for all of us this year is to be loneliness assuagers. I get it, it's a clunky term. No one's going to hashtag loneliness assuagers. But I mean it. There's a story told by the Sassover Rebbe about the spiritual power of being there for another person. The Sassover Rebbe enters an inn and sits beside two local peasants who are drinking at the bar. One turns to his comrade and says, Tell me, friend, do you love me? His colleague responds, Of course I love you. Then the first one said to his friend, Then tell me, friend, what causes me pain? His colleague said, How should I know what hurts you? I'm just your drinking buddy. He said, If you loved me, you would know what causes me pain. As Rabbi Brad Artson learned the story, from that day on, the Sassover Rebbe taught his students that to love another human being means to know what causes them pain, to know what makes them hurt. And it's a small step from that to feeling mobilized to do something to alleviate the pain. In other words, to love is to assuage holiness, loneliness. To care and to be a friend is to help someone be seen, to feel less alone. Some do this on a superhero level. How many of you are familiar with the name Miriam Mendelo? Show of hands. Maybe you have a memory of teenagers coming home from Israel in the 1980s and 90s with an iconic talus bag in the shape of a big green frog. More hands at that? Well, that talus bag, among other sundry items, was crafted at a place called Yad Lakashish, a truly magical place founded by the late Miriam Mendelau in Jerusalem. It began with a humble goal. Give the elderly of Jerusalem, often living lives of quiet isolation, the kshishim in Hebrew, something to do with their time and with their hands and with their lives. She started by buying a used van, picking up elderly people living in hovels, and brought them to Yad Lakashish and taught them skills or harness skills they already had, and she created a new world for them. Her slogan was, to be is to do. And I would add to that, to be and not be lonely is to do with others. 
Decades later, Yad Lakashish still hosts myriad workshops and mini factories in which Jerusalemites, some deep into their 90s, learn skills and put their hands to work and earn some shekels on the side and mostly live these years of their lives with purpose and with people. When I used to visit the 1990s, bringing USY groups there, the place was filled with a bustle, a noisy din, the opposite of the crushing silence you sometimes confront at homes for the elderly. This was a place of movement, of activity, and banter, and laughter, and artistry. It was a place of connection. It was tove in the deepest sense of the world, assuaging and defeating the loneliness felt by so many in that age group. Whether knowingly or not, Mendelo's project echoed wisdom shared by the great German-American psychoanalyst Eric Erickson and the work that he did with his wife Joan on human development. They once gave an interview in the New York Times in 1988 talking about life in their ninth decade. And Joan Erickson said, Life doesn't make any sense without interdependence. We need each other. And the sooner we learn, the better for us all. Because of Mendelo's understanding of that truism, life has been so much better for countless Jerusalemites, such as a different woman named Miriam. This Miriam is 82 years old today. As a child, she arrived in Belarus with her mother and grandmother after surviving the Shoah. She became a chemistry teacher. She made Aliyah from the Soviet Union in 1991. And 10 years ago, she came to Yad Lakashish and now works in the book bindery, fixing books and painting greeting cards. In her words, Miriam is grateful both for the financial benefits and the community she gains at Yad Lakashish. She said, for people like me to have a job gives us a reason to get out of the house and do something with our lives. It is that important. Miriam Mendelo was a loneliness assuager on a heroic level, on a mass scale. What she built continues to give so many the blessing of meaningful work and congenial companionship. We don't necessarily need to start nonprofits to do that work, though. As I said above, I am not lonely now in my life, and that's a blessing. But I once was, profoundly. Many of you know, because I've shared it candidly, that I struggled in middle school. I've spoken about being bullied in previous sermons. Those were painful years and incredibly lonely years. And the doom began to lift when I met a man named Steve Grove of Blessed Memory. He was my synagogue's youth advisor. And as I started eighth grade, Steve called me and encouraged me to come to a Kadima event. I was hesitant. To me, it seemed like one more place in which I could be rejected in a social setting. But Steve was persistent, and he was kind. I went to the event. I left as a member of the Kadima board. <laughs> I reinvented myself and found myself in a deeper connection to Judaism because of my USY years. None of that, none of this, would have happened without Steve, without his having seen himself as an L.A., having nothing to do with geography, a loneliness assuager. He made me feel seen and accepted and okay, 
He nearly single-handedly eradicated my loneliness. As I have thought about Miriam Mendel over the years and Steve Grove's impact on my life and the Surgeon General's warning and the Torah's early acknowledgement of loneliness, I just wonder, what would your life be like and what would others' lives be like if you lived every encounter you have with another person through primarily one prism and to make the person feel less alone in the world compared to before that meeting with you? What would it be like? How differently would you handle a conversation with a child, balancing teaching them values and raising them right on the one hand with helping to assuage their loneliness on the other hand? How might it impact a conversation about politics and the state of the world and our city and our country and Israel if at least in addition to trying to convince the other of your position, you saw the other person's full humanity and spoke in a way that might make them feel more seen, more heard, less alone in the world? What if 5784 calls on us most to do is to go back to Genesis chapter 2 with Lotov Hayot Adam filters scanning what we see every day, looking for the lonely and trying to help. When services are over and when the sermon is over, we're going to give one another a cheerful and beloved greeting. Shana Tova. Wishing each other a good year. Good? Is that all we really wish for one another? Those greetings are usually heartfelt and they're amicable, but let's be honest, the words are so overused they've become banal, having descended from utter meeting, once infused with a sincere hope that the other be guaranteed another year of life, down to well-intended meaninglessness but I think we can resurrect it. Because now we can think of tov as not just meaning good. Tov means being on a mission. To root out loneliness from our midst. To help our loved ones and anonymous ones lead richer versions of life, feeling surrounded and lifted up rather than abandoned and beaten down. The salutation can turn into a charge and a promise if you utter it. You can say, I wish for you a Shana Tova, a year that will be a little more Tov, a little less lonely, because I promise to help make it happen. I wish you that wish, and then I walk away with a task, an obligation, to be done for you or at least another person to help replace some darkness with light. This year, be a Steve Grove to someone Be the friend in the tavern who does know what causes the other pain. Help people be less lonely so that they perhaps might even be more okay when they're actually alone. Strive to be a Miriam Mendelo in some way. Be a Lala, a Los Angeles loneliness assuager. Wish each other a Shana Tova and then go make it happen. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. 
If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.